0: our next uh, subject in our Depressed People of the Bible Seminar, going through the two books, The Depression, The Way Out, not so much through that book, but some of the principles out of that book by Dr. Neil Nedley, and Depressed People of the Bible. And so we'll start off uh, with a uh, little segment by Dr. Neil Nedley uh, explaining two of the ten depression hits. Mm -hmm.
1: Welcome to Let's Talk Mental Health, where we bring awareness to the causes and solutions of mental health conditions. I'm your host, Nathan Nedley, and this is the first part in a five-part series we're doing on the 10 hit depression categories. This deals with causes of depression. I've got Dr. Neil Nedley with me. Thank you for joining me, and let's get started. What are the first ones we're gonna be looking at today?
2: We're starting with genetic and medical categories of causes of depression.
1: What exactly is a genetic cause?
2: Well, these are mutated genes that actually have consequences in regards to brain chemistry. And so there are several common genetic um, causes of depression. And by, you know, when I say causes, once again, it's a contributing cause, but never a sole cause. Okay. Uh, because genetics loads the gun and lifestyle pulls the trigger. So there are other factors that are going to activate these genes. But when the gene is active, we'll actually be able to measure the activity of that gene. And that's part of the blood work we do when people come to the residential depression and anxiety recovery program because we want to understand the genes that are active to know how to deactivate them. So... One of the common genetic causes is called undermethylation. This is a condition where serotonin activity is down and dopamine activity is down and sometimes, depending upon the other genetics, norepinephrine activity is down. These are three neurotransmitters that are being affected a lot by medications. Most of the medications are going to affect one or more of those neurotransmitters. But it turns out most of the time these medicines would be unnecessary if we understood the defect and be and actually
1: solved that defect through nutrition and lifestyle measures. You're talking about undermethylation. Is there an opposite to the, the under is there an overmethylation?
2: There is an overmethylation as well, yeah. And most people fortunately are normal methylators. Uh, less people are overmethylators. But there's difference in personalities that we will see between the undermethylators and the overmethylators. The undermethylators tend to be overachievers. <clears throat> they tend to be, uh, have a greater tendency for obsessive compulsive disorder. So they want to do well in whatever they are in. They, if they're in school, they want to get an A. If they're in sports, they want to win. Uh, and uh, they will kind of do what it takes uh, to become an overachiever. Socially, um, they're fine among their peer groups, but they're not people that are very socially um, maybe um, appropriate. Not that they're inappropriate. Maybe outgoing. But yeah, they're just not as outgoing outside of their peer group as well. And so they kind of stick to themselves. They don't even mind being oppositional in regards to social things uh, at Mm -hmm. times because of where their priorities um, are at they tend to have a very calm exterior, but a tense interior. And it turns out, uh, over-methylators, they tend to be your more social people. You know, if you live next door to them, they're going to be very kind and nice and empathetic to you, even though they didn't know you before. Uh, They're more naturally empathetic people, they're more naturally extroverted as well, and, they are also people that tend to be more creative. Uh, these are the people that are going to be more artistic. Uh, the artistry needs to be taught to the undermethylators, but the overmethylators just seem to have it naturally. And um, music can come more naturally to an overmethylator. So we also look for personality traits sometimes to determine where they're at, but of course, the blood work will give us the, the final analysis.
1: Now we probably have some people that are watching who would say maybe I I would want to be an undermethylator and overmethylator if they're saying wanting to be good at art or music or wanting to get into medical school and need good grades or things like that. If someone is say an undermethylator an overmethylator and you fix the the imbalances that are happening, is that going to decrease their ability to you know, or their, or their motivation to get good grades or say their artistic abilities or things like that? That's
2: a great question, and a lot of my patients wonder that as well because they're here, you know, because of their depression and anxiety and they want that fixed, but they don't want their competitive edge fixed or their creativity fixed. And fortunately, because of the genes that they have, they'll be able to stick with the positive parts of that but will actually be able to deactivate the negative parts of it. So we're selective in what we're actually helping them out with. So we won't change their personality, or change their talents, or change their motivations, but we will help their mood and their ability to manage their emotions far better.
1: Let's get into the second one, which is medical condition. What are symptoms of that or causes? Well,
2: premenstrual dysphoric disorder, uh, for instance, is a medical condition. This is where women tend to become a lot more sensitive and emotional um, on the second half of their period or right as their period is starting. And it turns out there's a crossover between that and the genetic uh, because the genetic trait that tends to be associated with that is a metal metabolism disorder and this is where they don't have the ability to handle copper as well. And too much free copper will cause them to have postpartum depression, premenstrual dysphoria, any hormonal depression event tends to be associated with that and we'll pick that up in the genes and we'll be able to fix that actually uh, with certain supplementation like zinc, for instance, which can get rid of copper, but we have to do it in the right amounts because if we overshoot, we're going to bring the copper level down too low, and they'll have more anxiety. And so we have to gradually build up until we reach um, that particular level. Thyroid conditions, that can be another medical cause of depression, and this is why we measure the thyroid in five different ways in people uh, that come through the program. Inflammatory disorders, autoimmune disease can be another uh, medical condition that we'll pick up in the lab work and be able to do some things to correct that often nutritionally using long chain omega-3s and getting rid of arachidonic acid and that medical condition can be taken care of through nutrition and lifestyle measures Uh, and so there could be a whole host of things that we pick up head trauma that's another one Uh, post-concussion syndrome post-traumatic brain injury that causes inflammation in the brain and that's actually a medical condition that was induced from trauma, uh, actual physical trauma. And so we look for a host of medical causes as well as a host of genetic causes. And uh, this is one of the key factors that they learn about themselves in our program that they can actually reverse so that we can completely eliminate those two hits. And uh, what a difference that's going to make in their future.
1: Wow. I guess starting the, the this topic of, of g- both genetic and the medical condition, it's, they, they sound like they're very difficult to change, and I'm sure they are, but it seems like from what you're talking about that through in-depth study with lab works and things like that, you're able to make small, minor adjustments in areas that can provide significant results.
2: Oh, yeah. Sometimes it's not all that complex on what we have to do. You know, On an under-methylator, it might just be one supplement they need to do. Or it might be some other lifestyle measure and we'll be able to have normal methylation. You know another genetic condition, a pyrrole disorder. With that, they're, uh, they're going to be on opposite of an under They're going to have more of a learning disability. They won't be able to read and focus and concentrate very well. And we'll pick that up and within four weeks with just some simple, simple supplementation, their focus improves, their memory improves, their ability to achieve in school goes up, and their stress control uh, is is way better managed, uh, just as a result of getting rid of the pyrol disorder, another common, about 15% of people that come to our program have that disorder.
1: Well, thanks for going over those first two hits, Dr. Nedley. Join us next time as we go over lifestyle and circadian rhythm hits. This is Let's Talk Mental Health. I'm your host, Nathan Nedley, and as always, stay healthy, live happy.
0: Okay, so uh, I covered these two, um, and we'll eventually go over all ten, as we learned that you can keep the hit level under four, and chances are then you won't enter into clinical depression. And uh, a lot of the hits can be reduced just by some of the things we'll be discussing throughout this seminar, and in the Depressed People of the Bible book, or in the, the uh, Depression the Way Out book and not need the program. But if those things don't work and you you put all those things into practice and they're still not working and you're still struggling with ongoing depression, uh, I encourage you to uh, look into going to the Nedley Depression and Anxiety Recovery Program where they can do the blood work and see some of these other things and work on healing that way. Um, Bring those hits that would need uh, that type of treatment uh, to be able to solve that. A significant point I would like to make is that depression is not a disease. It's a constellation of symptoms. And if we treat it as a disease uh, it's like treating just the symptoms. So for example, if a person has a flu and you want to treat just the symptoms, well, the symptoms of a flu might be runny nose, or sneezing, or a sore throat, and so you would give him a box of handkerchiefs, uh, you would give him maybe a a throat lozenger, and to, to help the cough, or to help the sore throat, or to help the sneezing and you're not doing anything about the problem, which is uh, the flu virus. And when the flu virus is eliminated, uh, then the symptoms go away. Right, and so better to get rid of, another good example is, is, is high blood pressure. Right, so high blood pressure uh, is a symptom of uh, either lifestyle or other things that are causing the blood pressure to be high. And when it's found out what is causing the blood pressure for that individual, and that is reversed, they get exercise, or they cut down on the salt, or they uh, cut out the fats in their diet and eat a better diet, the blood pressure will then naturally come down. Um, And so when we're just treating the symptoms, then we're just giving some medication to just bring the numbers down, but we're not dealing with the issue that brought them up to begin with. And so better to uh, deal with the root causes than to just try and deal with the symptoms. And... And so depression is, again, not a disease, uh, nor is it a disability. It can be disabling when we're depressed, when we're experiencing those symptoms that, uh, that manifest itself in various different ways, and then we're not able to do things. But it's not a, necessarily an ongoing, it doesn't have to be an ongoing permanent disability. Right? If a person lost their leg in an accident or somehow, lost their leg, they will never have that second leg back again. They may be able to get a prosthesis or, or you know, uh, uh, travel in a wheelchair and various different ways of dealing with it, but they will never get that leg back. But depression, when the hit levels are brought under four, the depression uh, can leave and then they go back to the way they were before they uh, were experiencing depression. And so then they are totally healed of it, so it's not a total lifelong uh, permanent disability. Again, it's some symptoms of some issues that need to be taken care of. And the third aspect, depression is not sin. Now, we saw, like with uh, uh, Naomi, uh, she was experiencing grief because of the loss of her husband and the loss of her sons and under those conditions we should be feeling gloomy, we should be feeling low, we should be feeling in a, a, a depressed kind of a state. And then she needed to work through them those those feelings, um, and be able to function. But it's not necessarily bad at times, or it's appropriate at times, to even be melancholy, to be depressed uh, at the appropriate times. Um, Especially if it's um, because of a situational type of thing that brings on depression. Now, there can be sinful things that bring on the depression, uh, such as um, disobedience to God, and then having guilt, kind of like with Jonah, um, that will uh, be a, a causative effect of bringing on the depression. And when that is reversed through confession and through repentance, uh, that can be removed again. But even in those situations, it was the actions that were sinful that brought on the symptom of depression. So the depression is not sinful, right? That's, again, the cause or that's the, the result uh, it was the cause, the disobedience to God, the running away from God, that, uh, that was the sinful act. So, it is possible for then a believer to experience depression. Especially again, if it's because of loss or because of grief, or maybe because of um, something that they did in their life, and they just need to then get that under control and, and turn that around. Um, so, those are some very important uh, point because there's a lot of misconceptions on it. People think that, well, I got disability, I, 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 I depression, so I have this disability, I'm labeled it, and I'm stuck with this for the rest of my life, or they uh, have unnecessary guilt because they're feeling they're, they're depressed and so they must be sinning, they don't have enough faith, they don't have enough trust in God, and those are not necessarily the case. All right, so let's get to our topic for this week, our Bible topic, our person, our Bible person, King David, Neglected and Rejected. Starting from 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, I have rejected Saul from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. So this is a pretty big deal, right? So Samuel's coming to town, he's coming to Bethlehem, and of all the families of Bethlehem, he's going to the family of Jesse. That's big, big news, right? It's a big occasion. So Samuel went to Bethlehem and he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Wow, what a privilege. I mean, Jesse's picked out, his family's picked out. There they are, they're being consecrated to the Lord. And then on top of that, they're being invited for the sacrifice. Wow, what a blessing. Unbelievable. And when they came, he looked at Eliab, Jesse's oldest son. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Amen? And we're we'll going to do a whole sermon on that, but that's not our topic for tonight. So Jesse called Abinadab, and Samuel said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shemaiah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made Seven of his sons passed before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Samuel said, are all the young men here? Jesse said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. He's out in the field somewhere. Now how on earth could Jesse have left David out in the field keeping the sheep when the prophet comes to town and comes to Bethlehem and all the families of Bethlehem chooses his home and invites them to the sacrifice? David was neglected. (laughs) For some reason or another, Jesse did not think David needed to be there for this. Now, maybe he had some reason. Maybe they couldn't find a sheep sitter for the night. I don't know, you know. Um, But uh, whether he had really good reasons or not, David would have felt that rejection, that neglect, that uh, skirting of him or forgetting of him or putting him aside. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you were in a family where you know, you had a sibling who was, you know, smartest, always A's or whatever, and the family just gloated over that, or, uh, or was athletic and came home with trophies and were on the team, or was just really popular, and maybe the family loved you just as much as they loved the other, but maybe it didn't always feel that way. Or maybe they didn't love you as much. Maybe you were the number two or number three or maybe number ten child in the family and down the line as some runt that uh, you know, just kind of gets forgotten about as they've gotten busy in their lives. This is what David experienced. We see him neglected there, left out in the field. I think God gives us a little insight here to David that we don't normally think about. And then Samuel said, bring him, for the Lord will not, for we will not sit down till he comes. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. So the brothers see this. They may not know they're being anointed to be king or what this is all about, but they see something special going on here. The Lord hasn't chosen any of us. Samuel mentions or brings out that David's the one that the Lord sent him to, and he's anointing him. So they're all seeing this. So they should know that something's going on between the Lord and David. Chapter 17, verse 1, 1 Samuel. The Philistines gathered the armies to to battle. Israel gathered together and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. A champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath, whose height was six cubits and a span, nine feet. Now David's already anointed to be the next king. Yeah, maybe no one knows about it, but God knows about it. And Samuel knows about it, maybe David knows who's in on it. That took place before the whole Goliath thing. It wasn't because he was a great slayer of Goliath that God called him to be king. It had to do more with his character, and we'll see that as we look at the life of David, of why God chose him and called him. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to battle. Jesse said to David, take your brothers some dried grain and 10 loaves, bring back news of them. David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, they can find a keeper for the sheep if they really want to, (laughs) and took the things and went, and David ran and greeted his brothers. So Jesse says, oh, I'm concerned for my my precious three oldest sons, my number one, my number two, my number three son. I want to know what's happening with them. I want to make sure they have food out there in the army. Here, David, you're not doing anything anyway. Go bring them some food. And, you know, if you get killed out there, I'm tending you in the middle of a battlefield, you know. But if you get killed, that's all right. Just bring them some food. And if you're able to come back and bring me some news of how they are doing, I'm really concerned about how they are doing. And David, he's happy with it. He goes running. He goes and greets his brothers, kind of like Joseph, you know, also neglected and and put aside, although favored by his dad, but not so favored by the brothers. And, uh, but, you know, hey, guys, I had a dream, right? So David goes running over there. Hi, guys. Goes and greets his brother. Here I am. I got some food for you guys. Eliab, the oldest, anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few little sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and your insolence of heart, but you've come down to see the battle. David said, what have I done now? And he said, this is his brother, not thankful for the bread, not thankful for the grains, not happy to see his younger brother. He's angry at him for some strange reason. And he puts down his career, his profession, his duties. Oh, those few little sheep of yours. You know, what'd you do with them? You left them in the wilderness. They're going to get eaten by a beast out there in the wilderness. You're skirting your responsibility to come here. And I know why. Your pride, you're proud and you're insolent. You just want to see the battle. I think Eliab is projecting here why he followed Saul. <laughs> he wanted to see the battle. And he's projecting onto David. Now, where do you think he could get off talking that way to David? Where do you think he learned that train? Probably from his father. Right? Probably in the home setting. David, God, Jesse did to David. Dad did to David. Must be okay. We do it also. Maybe not, but again, David was left out with the sheep while Samuel the prophet is in town and in the home. And so he might have heard Dad put David down also. And so now he's piling it on as well. Double barrel. Just letting them have it. And David said, What have I done now? What does that mean? This has been going on for quite some time, right? His brothers, brother or brothers have been putting them down, putting them down, putting them down for quite some time. And he's just like, What'd I do this time? Hey, well, what's up now? I just came to bring you some bread and bring you some grains. Tell dad how you're doing. Right? What have I done? So maybe you've had this, maybe you've had your siblings put you down, call you names, label you. Maybe some teacher said, Oh, you'll never amount to anything. Maybe a parent, maybe some coach somewhere. Somewhere in your life, some boss or something, put you down, labeled you, and it is stuck with you. And you've never forgotten it. I've had people tell me stories. It sounds like just yesterday someone said this to them, and when I talked with them a little more and choir, it was thirty or forty years ago, and they're still living it like it just happened. One man told me that his father told him that uh, the best part of him went down his father's leg. You know, it's just like, and he just held on to that. That uh, I mean, it's a stupid thing to say to begin with, but nonetheless, it just hurt that. Man, so much even to his adulthood, he felt so hurt. So how did David deal with this? The next verse, David turned from him toward another and said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He turned away from his brother And he turned to the issue at hand and to God's calling upon his life. Now, the devil would have been very happy for David to get in some argument with his brother and battling it out with him and calling him name. You called me proud while you this and I just, and they get into it and back and forth. Or for David to sleek away and cry his heart out. Well, oh, poor me. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody likes me. Oh, my oldest brother—he called me proud. He called me insolent. He mocked my little sheep, and Dad didn't even invite me for Samuel, and go, and he goes crying away. No one loves me, and I don't blame him. I'm no good, right? In either of those situations, would David have been in any condition to battle with Goliath? No. But David did what you and I need to do when people put us down. Turn away from him. (laughs) Turn away from it. Just turn away. He just turned away. And he was able to go and fight Goliath and by God's power and miracle, he defeated the giant and slew him. And we need to be about the Lord's business and not worrying about what anyone else says because what anyone else says really doesn't matter at all. It only matters what God says, not what people say. And God says, you are his beloved child. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. And that's all that matters. When I was growing up, we had a saying Uh, Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Now I've been told that, well, names do hurt. Only if we let them. Only if we choose to allow them to. They don't have to. David ignored it. Turned away from it. Doesn't have to hurt us. Heard a story, I forget exactly where the origins of this is, but uh, that someone came up to, uh, to another person and was giving him a whole bunch of verbal abuse and uh, the man responded by asking him, if someone was to give another person a gift and the second person refused the gift, to whom does the gift belong? And so the man responded, well, the one who was offering it. And the man said, that's correct. The verbal abuse, the gift of verbal abuse that you're offering me, I reject. You can keep it. It doesn't have to stay with us. We don't have to accept it. We don't have to receive it. We don't have to accept the label and let it affect us. Another saying that uh, we had when I was young was, I am rubber, you are glue. What you say will bounce off me and stick to you. (laughs) I mean, you had that when you were young too, right? And that can be a reality if you choose to believe that, if you choose to make it that way. You can be a sponge if you want and suck it all in and absorb it into yourself and let it mold you out and destroy you. Or you can say, no, I'm rubber. I am not accepting that back on you. It's not mine, it's yours. I refuse that gift that you're offering me. And we see by God's grace and by God's power, that is possible because that's exactly what David did. We saw it happen probably more than once. What have I done now? And we saw the Jesse experience. And so it probably was ongoing and he did not allow it to affect him. And you don't have to allow it to affect you. Whether it's happening today or whether it happened 55 years ago, you can stop listening to those words and reject them and choose to turn from that and to focus on God's calling on your life today and fight the real giants. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not these turds here on this earth that call us names and want to put us down. That's not our real enemy, it's the devil. And when we fight that giant, and tackle that, the insecurities, the fears, the pride. The, David, if David was proud, if it had to do with pride, he'd be, oh no, you're hurting my feelings, you're hurting my pride. And become insecure. But again, he didn't care. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. And it doesn't matter what they say about you or me either. Whether, again, it comes from a human being, or whispers in our ears, or negative thoughts into our mind. Whether it's real or whether it's imaginary, doesn't matter. Reject the thoughts. In the name of the Lord, I choose by God's power, by God's grace, not to receive that. Well, let me hear your voice. Let me hear your words upon me and claim his promises for yourself. So then David's life continues. He gets hunted by King Saul for years on end. He has to hide in the wilderness. He's homeless. He has to join the Philistines, or he doesn't have to. Whatever he does, he joins the Philistines for a while. He's with the enemies. <laughs> He's involved in many battles. And PTSD, I would imagine, like, you can't imagine. I mean, it's bad enough now. And people I was talking with one soldier. He said, we don't even call PSTD when it's from war. That's for domestic problems that you experience. And I forget what he told me it is, but different classification, different level. Boy, and David's day, I mean, they're hand-to-hand combat, you know, with swords and knives and cutting off limbs and cutting off heads. And I mean, he cut off Goliath's head and he carries Goliath's head to King Saul. And many, many battles, many, many people. Saul has killed his hundreds. David's killed his thousands, right? I think that's how the saying goes. I mean, hand-to-hand combat that way. And Saul, people in his family and people that he loved, get killed that way. And King Saul told him, "Bring me hundred foreskins." David brings him two hundred foreskins. Man, I'd have nightmares the rest of my life, or something like that. I mean, you know, imagine. But this is what David experienced, and then he he committed adultery, and murder, and then the son of that relationship dies, and then another one of his sons rapes one of his daughters, and then another son kills that son, and then that son raises an insurrection in David's old age. <laughs> and that son dies, and then another son raises another insurrection, just as David is literally laying on his deathbed. See, so he had problems we see from early childhood all the way his entire life. And you thought you were having a bad day. <laughs> hey, how does your list compare with this? Nonstop. And yet none of this stopped him from doing the Lord's business, being the Lord's anointed, being a man after God's own heart, serving as king of a nation, fighting many battles, winning many cities, conquering the land and establishing Israel, really establishing Israel in the land that God had promised. Powerful, mighty. Sometimes it's through the difficult times that God shines the most. I think most often it is. Yeah. All who live godly in Yeshua the Messiah will suffer persecution. And maybe if, because David was living in the midst and under the umbrella and under the hands of Yeshua the Messiah, he received so much persecution through his life and so much sore, so much trouble, so much problems in his life. But none of these things totally stopped him. Now we see David was depressed. Well, before we get to that, let's look at some of the things from the 10 hits, right? The 10 list again. So genetic, well, he did have his great-great-great-grandmother, Naomi, right? She was depressed, at least maybe situationally depressed, and maybe that counts, maybe it doesn't count, maybe it was only situational because she was experiencing uh, grief from... Great loss, uh, and that was several generations. So maybe yes, maybe no. Developmental. Yes, we just saw that, right? Rough childhood. Neglected by his father, rejected by his brothers. Lifestyle. I'm sure he got plenty of exercise <laughs> running for most of his life. Uh, circadian rhythm. When he's in a cave, living in a cave, he might not, running from Saul, he might not always been able to get regular sleep or enough sleep. Addiction, we have no record of him drinking alcohol. Uh, nutrition, maybe, when again he's living homeless in a desert wilderness, he might not have been able to get, we know at times he didn't get good food, he had to get some food from Nabath, and the whole story there, and so they were not always getting proper food. And while he might not have experienced all these things at the same time, throughout his life we see these pink ones uh, that he did experience. Uh, social grief definitely is stress. I mean, being king, he had stress. Uh, fighting in battles is stress. Uh, uh, running from the king, it was stress. Family stress, lots of problems. Lots of wives talk about stress. I mean, you, you got stress. <laughs> David had stress. No support system as a child, he had no support system. His mother's not mentioned. Great loss. Well, we. Looked at some of those. Children that died, great, great loss. He cried and cried and cried. Wished he was dead instead of Absalom. Great losses he experienced. Medical, we don't know. Frontal lobe, certainly when he was committed adultery and committed murder, uh, he had a frontal lobe hit at that time going against conscience. So David had, at various different times in his life, uh, what, at least uh, six, maybe five or six Different of the hits, but it never let them stop him. Maybe he never had four at the same time, but we see it never stopped him. Now, he was depressed at times. We read from his own hand, Psalm 6, verse 6. I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of my enemies. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you've had all nights where you've cried and cried and your bed is, your pillow is just wet with with your tears. I mean, he says, "My, my couch is drenched with my tears. And so he experienced, he knew what it was like to feel the weight of depression. But the very next verse, verse eight, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. So even those thoughts, even those feelings, even that weight that he was carrying at that time, he rejected it in the name and the power of the Lord God Almighty. Depart from me. Get away from me, Eliab. Get away from me, you devil. Get behind me, Satan. You have no right over me because of the Lord God Almighty. He has heard my voice. He has heard my prayers. He has received my prayers. And he's received yours. And he's heard yours as well. And we can believe by faith that God has heard. And God will work. And God will answer according to his will. Mentioning his brother again, the older brother, Eliab. We never hear about him again. The last words that are recorded Blazoned in the Bible history is, David, you're proud, and you're insolent, and where are those little sheep of yours, and that he was angry. and that's. What, I mean, David becomes king, and he has a commander-in-chief, and he's got people over his army, and he's got David's 70 mighty men. Eliab isn't mentioned. Oldest brother, biggest brother, all this. Never mentioned. By name, specifically. So we have that comparison, David and his older brother. God chose David because David was choosing God and choosing right. He made the decision to reject those negative thoughts of his brother, reject the negative thoughts coming into him here, and accept, by faith, God has heard my prayers. And we can do the same. Another time, and we can go through all the Psalms, and another Psalm, Psalm 56, verse 5, All day, they twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together, they hide, they mark my steps when they lie in wait for my life. Put my tears into your bottle, are they not written in your book? I mean, this is amazing. I mean, I had no idea they had internet and cell phone and, and the government like we have back in David's day, but I mean, here it is. I mean, obviously they did, right? twisting his words and gav- plotting steps and gathering together. They're hiding. They're marking his destruction and waiting for his life. He had it rough. And whether this was imaginary in David's mind, imaginary fears, or real, doesn't matter. He's experiencing it and he's feeling it. And I believe they were real. I believe there were continual plots after him and twisting of his words and misquoting and misusing and abusing throughout his life. Again, we saw it in childhood. And here we see him writing in his adulthood. But what did he do? The next verse, verse 9. When I cry out to you, my enemies will turn back. This I know, because God is for me. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do for me? Oh, and I missed one. In the Lord, I will put praise his word, right? He chooses to praise. He chooses to praise God. Did the enemies disappear? Or did they stop plotting his destruction? Did they stop twisting his words? Did they stop tracking him and surveilling him? they stop reading his emails and his posts? No, they kept it up. But it didn't matter. What can man do to me? Oh, they could do an insurrection against your kingdom. (laughs) They can plot your assassination. They can try and assassinate you. They can tie you up. They can twist your words. They can do all kinds of horrible things. But it's like, what's the difference? When God is for us, who can be against us? Even if all the world is against us, they don't matter. That's the point. He's not ignoring them. He's not some pollyanna thinking here. that Oh, everything's okay. Everything's nice. Oh, this is good. This is all good. Everything's good. All the time. This is God's will for them to be plotting this and doing this. God's allowing it. No. He taught you. He's real. They're enemies of the Lord. They are evil. And they will have to turn back at the power and blood of our Lord and Savior. And he claims that power and that might. And the enemies have to turn back. Be held back. He doesn't ignore it. He acknowledges the issues. He doesn't ignore the problems. Right? It's not a, don't worry, be happy. Little smiley vase, you know. Uh, no, that's stupidity. Right? If your plumbing is flooding your house... You know, or someone in your life just died and you're grieving or you just lost your job or your car broke down and someone says, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> they go jump in a lake, you know, <laughs> I have some real issues here I got to take care of. I got to figure out how I'm going to get to work, I got to get this I got to stop this leak, I got to deal with these issues. They're real issues. So now that we don't worry, David didn't ignore the problems, he dealt with the problems. And just ignore the Goliath out there. He faced him, came face on with him, met him face, face to face. Saul, we'll get to Saul some another week. He's hiding, but David went out and faced it. You gotta face the problems, don't ignore the problems, face them in the armor of the Lord and in the strength of the Lord, trusting in the Lord. Just be happy. Oh, just be happy. Hey, you're going through some real problems and you're just happy. You're either stoned and your brain is dumbed or you're in denial. No, now we can rejoice in the Lord always and again rejoice whether we're in a dungeon or wherever we're at. That's different than just be happy. Rejoicing is a principle in the heart. Rejoicing is a choice. In spite of the problem, I choose to rejoice and trust the Lord. Happy is just a feeling. And feelings come and go. I'm not us just, God's not calling us just to be feelings. I'm just happy. Giddy. No, but we can rejoice. Be serious. Cry through the night, but in the morning, my Lord is my God. I will praise him. I will trust him. In Him I will praise Him. In His name, in His power, I will praise Him. I will trust in His word, in the word of God. And what can humans do to us? Just uh, watching the uh, movie about Richard Wormblant, Wormblant, Wormbrandt. Powerful, powerful testimony. He uh, was a martyr. Well, he didn't die. I mean, he was a prisoner. Uh, he was a minister in Romania. And then the Russians came in and took over Romania. So they had religious freedom in Romania, preaching and teaching. And the Russians came in and they said, Now you're communist. And now you no longer have those freedoms. And like that, overnight, they took him away. And he continued to preach and continued to teach and continued to share. He was arrested and put into prison. Beaten. Horrible tortures, beating his feet mercilessly over and over and over again. For the rest of his life, he had trouble walking. Another one of the inmates there, also for religious reasons, they beat him horribly and, and chained him to a wall, telling him to, give, him to give names of other people to go and arrest. And he refused, and he refused, and refused. So they brought his son in, teenage son. Started beating his son right in front of him. Son said, don't tell them, Dad, don't tell them. His dad wouldn't tell. They kept on beating him and beating him until they beat the son to death. Horrible, horrible atrocities. They'd study the Bible, and the guards would come and drag him out and beat him up. They'd come back, and where would we leave off? Let's get back to the Bible study. How can we study the Bible? Well, I made an arrangement with the guard. He'll let me preach and teach, and I'll let him beat me up. That's the attitude he had. Amazingly, he survived after years, 15 years, 20 years, something like that. Started voice of the martyrs. But many, many still today, suffering. that. But what, David says, what can man do to me? Well, that's what man can do to you. But it's only flesh. It's only flesh. It's here today, gone tomorrow. And if they beat us for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, what's that compared to eternity? It's just flesh and blood. It's Just here today, gone tomorrow. It's like the grass of the field. It doesn't really matter. They can touch our flesh, they can touch our bones, they can pluck out our eyes, whatever the case. But if we have our mind set on God, they cannot touch our soul. So David says, what can they do to me? What can man do to me? They can twist my words. They can do all these horrible things. They can mark my steps. They can lie away from my life. We'll cry out to the Lord. And God is mighty. Whether he lets us go through trials, whether he lets us go through beatings, whether he lets us go through torture, whether he lets us die as martyrs, doesn't matter. We're just passing through this world anyway doesn't matter what anyone does, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, it doesn't matter what anyone else says. The only thing that matters is what God says. And we can praise the Lord. And David chose to praise the Lord, chose to rejoice in the Lord, while acknowledging and recognizing the problems at hand and dealing with them. And that's power to cope. So David turned from those that were mocking him, he focused on the job that was at hand, he chose to trust God, chose to trust God through the problems. Right? If you're going through hell, don't stop. Right? Just keep on going till you get to the other side. Right? Trusting the Lord all the way, running over the coals. Right? Pass right through. So he chose to trust God through the problems, in spite of the problems, not ignoring the problems, not running away from the problems, but facing the the Problems. So, what are some of the problems? 1 Samuel 24, verse 1 Saul was told, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Saul took 3,000 men and went to seek David. Saul went to hide in a cave to relieve himself. David and his men were hiding in that cave. I mean, what are the chances? There are caves all over that area. <laughs> That's where the Dead Sea Scrolls are hidden in all these different caves. Tons and tons and tons of caves. And that cave that David's in and his men are in, Saul goes to relieve himself. God's providence. David's men said, The Lord said, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. David restrained his men, arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Saul left the cave. David called out, My lord, the king, I spared you. Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And then two chapters later, a very similar experience takes place. And this time Saul says, I have sinned. Return my son, David. So David calls him out. And we see David forgiving him in a biblical way, telling him he did what was wrong, telling him he shouldn't be seeking out his life. David did nothing wrong. Saul, you're wrong for doing this. But he didn't enact vengeance upon him. He didn't get angry at him. He wasn't bitter towards him. He pitied him, really. And it brings Saul to repentance, or it brings to confession. He weeps, lifts up his voice. I've sinned. Return to me, David. What does David do? The next verse. Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. If you're in an abusive relationship, don't stay there. If you're being abused, don't allow yourself to continue to be abused. Some people have this misconception of forgiveness, and again, we went through biblical forgiveness when we did the account of Jonah. The difference between biblical forgiveness and this stupidity type of forgiveness now that allows people to just walk all over us, and that's not forgiveness. And they think, I'm being forgiven, and so they stay in this abusive relationship whether it's in a marriage type of situation or an unmarried living situation or a job situation or with a sibling or various different situations, they allow themselves to continue to be abused. We see, David didn't do that. David didn't go back. Don't go back into the situation. I've seen people separate and then get back together and it happened again and again and again. Now i counseled them, okay, they're weeping, they're crying, they're, they're, they're confessing. All right, well, let them sit for a year. Let's see what happens over a year period of time, and then we'll talk about it. We can counsel through that time, and you can talk over the phone or whatever. But don't go back. David didn't go back. He went up into the stronghold. And that's wisdom there. These are the things that kept David from falling into clinical depression, That kept him from being able to function. He made wise choices. Chose not to listen to those who were abusing him. He chose not to hang around those who were abusing him. And we shouldn't either. You're a child of God. People think turning the other cheek and walking the extra mile. Means just sitting there and getting beaten to a pulp. No, that's not what he's talking about there. Then David did not. Go back. And 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 Yeshua, when they picked up stones to stone him and say, Okay, stone me, <laughs> he walked through the crowd and walked away until it was his time and then he laid down his life. So don't stay in an abusive situation. David did not stay with those who were abusing him. And we shouldn't either. 2 uh, Samuel chapter eleven verse three. David's king now, and David inquired about Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. The woman conceived. David wrote, "Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retreat from him that he may die." David brought her to his house, and she bore a son. But the thing that David did did, uh, did the thing that David did displeased the Lord, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he said to him, there were two men in the city. So David commits adultery, and then he commits murder to cover up his adultery. And the Lord sends Nathan to David. Why did God send Nathan to David? Because he loved him. Exactly, he loved David, and he's reaching out to David. He doesn't want to stay in his sin. And so he's reaching out, and Nathan gives his whole story of these two sheep owners. One has lots of sheep, one has only one sheep. David can relate to that, being the sheep herder. And, uh, and at the end of the story, David gets mad and says, oh, that man who took away that one guy's sheep, he should be punished fourfold. And Nathan says, you are the man. And David said, I have sinned against the Lord. Psalm 32, 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered I acknowledged my sin to you. My iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David didn't hide it. Eventually, I mean, did for a while. Eventually he confessed it, acknowledged it, turned from it, repented of it. He received the rebuke. When Nathan comes and tells him that story and then says, you're the man, David could have said, kill Nathan. Now get rid of this guy who knows my secret. And this, again, is where David's greatness, God's greatness through David is manifested. The way he dealt with Saul, the way he dealt with his brother, and how he deals with himself. How he deals with his own sin. He received correction. He received rebuke and he confessed it and he repented of it. Now, as you think of your life and how do you handle when someone corrects you, you get defensive, make excuses, tell them they don't understand, they've never been through what you've been through. Maybe attack them, find something about them, some negative, change the whole subject altogether. Right? They're correcting on you on, on, on this thing. And you say, well, you also, but you do this. And <laughs> find some fault in them. And that's our natural, that's, how, that's what we are naturally. That's what we do naturally. In our carnal nature, we will defend self. We will defend our pride. We will attack the other. That's normal. But normal is not good. Right? That's why we need to be born anew. <laughs> I need mean, to have the Lord's heart and the Lord's mind, and it takes God's spirit upon us to give us the humility to acknowledge the transgression, to accept the correction, the power to confess it, and the power and the grace to turn from it and repent fully of it. And that's what David does. He confessed and repented of his sins and turned from them. And that, this list here, turning from those who mocked him, focusing on the job at hand, choosing to trust God through the problems, not ignoring the problems, facing the problems, not staying with those who abused him, taking advice and counsel and rebuke from others, confessed and repented of his sin by God's power and by God's grace. And he's a man after God's own heart and there's no reason that by God's grace, God's power, that can't be an example of our lives and our lives as well. It's what God's called us to do, how God's called us to be. And even though David went through all those troubles that we looked at and much more than we can think of or list, God gave him the grace to maintain it. While he had nights of weeping, he did not succumb long bouts of clinical depression. He kept it in check. And we can also, by God's grace and God's power, by following these principles, keeping our hit levels down, trusting in the Lord. So, were you rejected or neglected as a child? If so... Claim God as your heavenly father, as your loving parent. And maybe it was more than just rejected and neglected, maybe even abused. Whatever the case, by God's grace, don't carry that around with you any longer. Turn from it and turn to the Lord. Accept his love. Accept his parenthood. Accept his family as your family accept his words upon you and not the words of humanity. Accept what he has to say about you and embrace his love. In a minute when we pray, or if you can't even wait right now, feel free to do that. Pray on your own and turn over the rejection, turn over the neglect, turn over the abuse to the Lord. Because Yeshua died not only for your sins, but for the sins Of those who have abused us. And thus those sins. Belong to the Lord as well. And if you allow those abuses. From your past. Could have been again years and years ago. To continue to haunt you. You are holding on to their sins. And letting it affect you. Give it to God. Give it to the Lord. Let Yeshua carry it. To Calvary. Let him bury it in the tomb and leave it there in the tomb. Let the past be the past. And move on. Not ignoring it. Face it. Acknowledge it was wrong. It was sin. It was bad. And by God's strength, I choose not to get angry and bitter and let it destroy God's peace upon my life. God will deal with them and I leave them with God. And again, as we talked about with, with Jonah, if they're still alive and they're still abusing, well, then you might have to take action. Get them arrested, sue them, move away, whatever it takes to keep them from hurting you or anyone else. Do that. Take action. But don't carry the pain in your mind anymore. You may have scars. You may have physical scars. But don't let it carry in your brain anymore. And I'm not saying forget it, but give it over to the Lord. Their sins turn them over to the Lord. The Lord paid for them, not you. They're his. Stop taking them. I'm buried away. I'm buried away. People, after years and years and years, they go to a council, they go to a new council, and it starts all over. Tell me, well, tell me all your problems. Then we relive the whole thing over and over again. It's in the past. Historically, it's a done deal. Don't let it affect you anymore. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. Now, you may have physical lim- limitations as a result. It right? might have so broke your legs or broke your arms that you're never walking again the same way. But it doesn't have to affect your mind. It doesn't have to affect your soul. It doesn't have to affect our lives. Reject it. We call on the name of the Lord. Turn from it and accept God's love, and God's grace. And God will give you an immortal body that will never wear old, that will never break, that will never falter. Are you in a pit, crying through the night, as David described it? Have you been experiencing bouts of crying, and crying, and crying? Choose like David to call on the Lord. Call upon him and choose to praise him in spite of the problems. Choose to praise him. Call on the Lord and praise his name. Call on your God and praise his name. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Make that mental choice and pray, by God's grace, God, give me the ability to choose you. Give me faith. Increase my faith. My faith. Are you in an abusive relationship? Currently, I encourage you, to, by God's grace, to not allow yourself to continue to be abused. Stop it, whatever it takes. Whether you need to stand up to it, Speak, call it out, uh, whatever you have to do. Or physically get out of the abusive situation. Again, whether it's at work, or friends, or so-called friends, or people, uh, or in the family. Whether from parents, or whether from siblings, or children, or spouse. do not allow yourself to continue to be abused. And if you're allowing a past abusive relationship to continue to live in your mind, reject it by God's power and put it away. Leave it with Yeshua. Are you carrying the guilt because of past sins? Maybe something that you have done. You're still carrying those sins, the guilt of that. The Lord paid for those too. They're his. Don't carry those around anymore. Confess them. David committed adultery and then murder. Confess the sins. Turn them over to the Lord. His sacrifice is big enough for all our sins. Accept his forgiveness. And then by God's power, turn from those wicked ways. Allow the Holy Spirit to live in you and to live a new life out of you. And as much as possible within you, make reckon reconciliation and recompense for the damage that you did. Don't carry the guilt anymore. Give it over to the Lord. Do you get insulted by correction? Ask the Lord to give you the gift of humility, an open heart, a submissive heart, to hear his voice through whatever means he chooses to bring it, whether through a donkey or through a prophet, or however he chooses to bring you, his rebuke, be willing to receive it. Ask God to give you an open mind to hear his voice and the power to receive it with a godly attitude and to allow it to impact your life and to change you for the better. Does any of those areas apply to you? In a moment. Well, let's pray together and let God work on those areas or maybe there's something else from David's life as we covered or maybe something else came to your mind. Let God minister to you and help you in your situation. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we praise your name for David's example on how to deal with those who are hurting us, abusing us verbally or physically Thank you, Lord, for David's example of how to deal with our own history and our own sins and our own mistakes and our own wrong choices. Lord, give us your power and give us your grace. Fill us with the same spirit and even twice the spirit that you gave to David. Give him the ability to stand up to, to turn from his brothers and to stand up to the Goliaths and give us the discernment to know which one is which when to turn and when to stand. Lord, give us the ability to repent of our sins and confess our sins and receive correction from you and however you choose to deliver it to us. Live in our minds and our hearts. Lift us up in your grace and in your power around your throne. And may we hear your voice and only your voice speaking to our hearts and minds that we are your beloved children, men and women, after your own heart. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.